Hi everyone, welcome to Around the World in 80s Movies. My name is Vince Leo, I'm the author of the film review website Quipster.net. I invite you to check out over 4,000 plus of my written reviews. You can read there anytime at Quipster.net. Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R.net. I also want to let you know that I do a different podcast that covers brand new movies out in the theaters and on VOD. You can search for the Quipster Film Review Podcast. Wherever you're listening to this right now, just remember that Quipster is spelled with a W instead of a U. Today we're going to be continuing on with the three-part series in which someone gets amnesia in a 1980s film and then ends up living a different life or learning a life lesson or figuring out what's wrong with their life. Last week we took a look at Desperately Seeking Susan. Next I'm going to get into a movie that kind of reminds you of that movie, maybe a little bit about a movie I did just a few episodes ago called Romancing the Stone. It is called American Dreamer, came out the same year as Romancing the Stone in 1984. Jill Beth Williams is the main star, Tom Conti gets the co-star credit, Giancarlo Giannini, James Daly, Coral Brown, Christopher Daniel Barnes, and Huckleberry Fox are in the supporting cast. It's a PG-rated film. It does have sensuality, violence, and some language. I would probably rate it in the PG-13 range today because of that violence. The runtime is an hour and 45 minutes. Rick Rosenthal is the director and the screenplay credited to David Greenwalt and Jim Koof. Now, in American Dreamer, Jobeth Williams plays a suburban Ohio housewife and a mother named Kathy Palmer. Kathy escapes her joyless marriage in her spare time by reading her favorite romantic thriller novels. They are all starring a modesty blaze-like, globe-hopping female private detective named Rebecca Ryan. Kathy loves them so much that she enters a Rebecca Ryan fan fiction writing contest, and the winner of that contest, among the would-be authors, scores an all-expenses-paid trip to Paris, including not only seeing all of the famous sites, but also meeting the author of the novels herself, Margaret McMahon. When Kathy's selfish hubby tells her that he has no time for this trip, and really she should just not go at all, she decides that she's going to Paris alone if she must, and she leaves him and her two boys behind for the week for her adventure. Now, there's a curious thing that happens on this trip. Kathy ends up taking a blow to the head after she gets hit by a car while pursuing some thieves who steal her purse. And when she awakens in the hospital, Kathy not only forgets that she's Kathy, but she also thinks that she's the heroine of her novel. She thinks she's Rebecca Ryan herself. From then, she begins her makeover to glamour and adventure. All the while, she imagines everyone and everything around her is part of a plot of one of those Rebecca Ryan novels, including the leader of the French opposition party, whom she suspects is part of her mission to help protect. Meanwhile, she mistakes Englishman Alan McMahon, Margaret's son, played by Scottish actor Tom Conti, as her partner in crime-solving, Dimitri, and the two end up getting themselves into a heap of trouble as Kathy dives headfirst into snooping around where she doesn't belong and without the skills or expertise that Rebecca Ryan would have to truly know what she was doing. Now, this is a film that had been kicked around from... You know, really around 1980 on, there were a few people that were attached to it. Sally Field ended up passing on the film because the film had gone into limbo by its production house. It ended up getting picked up sometime later, and Joe Beth Williams would get her chance to shine in the lead role. And one can't say that she doesn't give the part her all. She gives a very spirited performance. The role, though, might be a little bit out of her wheelhouse in terms of 
needing a wacky comedian to truly own that part, especially as the writing is really not fresh enough to make that role work independently of the performance. It also doesn't really help that there's absolutely no romantic chemistry between Jill Beth Williams and her co-star Tom Conti. They look like they'd rather do anything else but actually gaze at each other or kiss each other with anything resembling passion. The repartee between them, though, does have some traction, but Conti, whose character is said to be some sort of playboy, kind of comes off to me like a lonely mama's boy, he's no Cary Grant, especially as he's intentionally playing reserved and a bit confused as to what Jobeth Williams is doing throughout. Now, taking the director's chair is Rick Rosenthal. Rosenthal's primary claim to fame came as a director of some fairly dark material before Halloween 2 and the Sean Penn reform school drama called Bad Boys. Rosenthal's reputation came first from the world of acting. He was an actor before he turned into a filmmaker. And because of that, he's one that values characters and performances more so than the mechanics of cinema. And this film would represent Rosenthal's first foray into screwball romantic farce. And this would greatly increase the scope of the action that he's accustomed to. And perhaps he bit off a little bit more than he could chew because the movie works best when it's dealing with those smaller and more personal moments such as when Kathy gets slighted by her husband, whose interests seem to always lie elsewhere. Scenes like that play out better than the more grandiose set pieces that are meant to draw out either guffaws or tension, neither of which are elicited with any kind of conviction. It also doesn't help much that the fatuous plot of the story itself barely hangs together, and what little sense there is to follow is largely uninteresting to care about one wit on its own. American Dreamer is one of those films that feels like it has all of the pieces necessary to make for a winning comedic adventure despite that, but the chemistry is just never quite coming together in a way that produces any kind of genuine thrills or laughs or chills or romance when it should. It has the air of being comical, and maybe it will produce a chuckle or two for some people, but you kind of get the feeling that it works overtime trying to squeeze out any laughs that similar comedies can do with just providing the situations. A part of the reason why American Dreamer may not have much sizzle is due to casting actors who are not natural comedians for all of the roles. They're unable to figure out how to make their respective scenes funny without having to play things either broadly, like Jo Beth Williams when she's in Rebecca Ryan mode, or in underplaying them like Conti through his very dry and deadpan contrast to the flashy flamboyance that Williams is delivering. The result is still likable, but it's not quite as inspired in its delivery as it should be. Now, if there is an audience for American Dreamer, it will lie primarily with those viewers who like made-for-TV fare, to which this cinematically released film really does feel like it plays out much of the time. As compared to the similarly premised but vastly more charming and funny Romancing the Stone, which came out earlier in 1984, American Dreamer feels like secondhand goods, done far better the first time around. Audiences in 1984 also recognized it as such. It was a bust at the box office. It only took in about half of its reported $10 million budget while it was in theaters. However, thanks to a devaluation in the French currency at the time, that allowed for more of the studio to work within the terms of the funding for the locale work necessary to make the shoot in the actual locations in Paris. So it's refreshing in that regard. You got the Eiffel Tower, the Arc de Triomphe, Uh, Notre Dame Cathedral, and all of the rest of the landmarks that you would expect from a a Parisian adventure. It has become a bit of a cult favorite for viewers who watched it in its repeated cable showings, and partially because it does play out like the aforementioned films made at the time for TV, the Lifetime Channel, except it had a higher budget and 
as I mentioned, a little bit better performances than you would get from typical TV fare. So for a film that's as difficult to hate as it is to blindly recommend, I think that American Dreamer is a bit like a dreamer in itself. It hopes that it has the stuff to live out its fantasies of being a hilarious, rip-roaring adventure, but in the end, whatever entertainment it had been meaning to inspire remains solely within the heads of those who sought to bring it to life on the big screen. So, a likable film, but not one I can fully recommend. I'm going to give it two and a half stars out of four. Two and a half stars on my scale means that I do think it had the tools and had the talent to be something a little bit better, but something really is keeping it back. I think the chemistry here and the lack of being able to get beyond its formula really hamper its ability to stand out in a very crowded field for the 1980s. So I can only give it two and a half stars out of four. As far as what I'm going to be doing next week to cap off this trilogy of films featuring amnesia as part of the main plot, I'm going to be talking next week about a film from 1987. It is a movie that features then-couple Goldie Hawn and Kurt Russell. From 1987, a Gary Marshall-directed film called Overboard. So check that out for next week if you haven't done so already, and you'll be able to keep up with the reviews. Until next time, thanks everyone for joining me on this trip around the world in... Oh, I forget. Oh, what? What's the name of the show? Oh, 80s Movies. <laughs>